everybody. Welcome to the show. It's Dylan James on Out of Bounds. And this week we have a very special guest in the studio, one that we have not heard from in quite some time. It's not because he's hiding in a an underground bunker or anything. Um, it's just that's the way it's been going recently. But Uncle Bobby's on the show with us this week, and he's filling in for JT. It's not my fault. I was had a lifetime ban, now it's been lifted, so I'm happy to be here. There was no lifetime ban. I, I don't know, know where that came from. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I don't know. But no lifetime ban. Uncle Bobby's <laughs> back on the show with us. And uh, yeah, it's been a while since we've heard you, Bobby. Ain't my fault. I've been waiting by the phone, but never got a call. So well, I know my service isn't that good, but hey, I'm still <laughs> never got a call. You're here this week, though. That's right. You're in studio, too. You're oh, not on the phone call this time. Yeah, it's a scary in here right now. Third floor. <laughs> <laughs> so we usually record in my apartment, and this is the first time Uncle Bobby's experienced the apartment. Yeah, but his uh, directions were very good, so I came in the wrong entrance and drove around like a loser for five minutes. I, I gave you an address. Well, I don't and have a phone fall- that gives an address on it. I have a oh flip phone. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Whose fault is that? Not Whose mine. fault is that? Not mine. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Uncle Bobby, how's it been going with you? Oh, not too bad. I just got me some, since I'm from Japan, I went to... Uh, Uniglo and Disney Springs got me some Japanese underwear to try. Oh, it's supposed to be a different material, and I'm going to see how it works. Yeah, I'm all excited about that. Great. Man. I'm so excited. I'm glad we started this episode off by talking about underwear for Uncle Bobby. Japanese underwear for Uniglo. Japanese underwear. Although it was made in China, that. so sorry about that. I didn't that but yeah. <laughs> you can't beat that. Well, anyway, let's just get right into it, I guess. We'll talk right. about some NFL news. So let's recap the NFL draft um, last weekend, actually. And. What I have to say is it was a very interesting draft. There was a lot of trades going on in the draft. And number one overall went to Cleveland Browns. We were talking about it on the last podcast, saying that it would be a mistake for them to go quarterback number one. They should get Saquon Barkley number one, and then a quarterback at number four that's left over. But guess what? They didn't listen to me. They pulled a Browns, and they decided to get Baker Mayfield. It's the number one overall draft pick. What do you think about this pick, Bobby? Well, I just hope he doesn't follow the same path as Johnny Manziel. I hope so, too. And and he's already started by going to the Cleveland Browns. But I think that his on-field play will be better than Johnny Manziel um, starting off. I think that he'll be a better quarterback than Johnny Manziel. It's just going to the Browns, number one. First of all, the Browns should not have drafted the quarterback, number one. Like I said, they should have gone with the number one pick in the draft the best player in the draft which would have been Saquon Barkley from Penn State running back there I think that it was a great move by the Giants to pick him up I mean he was the best player on the board at that time so at number two I mean it fell in their lap and that's a great pick by them but the Browns should have picked Baker Mayfield at number four I mean if even if there were teams out there apparently there was a report saying that Baker Mayfield was number one on several draft boards and that someone would have probably drafted, uh, traded up to draft him number two or number three. But still, you have to take that chance. Take Saquon Barkley, have a running back, and then you have four really good quarterbacks to choose from. You know, Josh Rosen, you have Josh Allen, you have Baker Mayfield, you have Lamar Jackson went down pretty far on the boards too, so you had him as well. You also had Sam Darnold too, which the Jets probably would have picked up Sam Darnold in the first place at number three. But still, I think you had some options there at number one and number four, but they decided to blow it. And with their second pick in the first round, the Cleveland Browns picked up Denzel Ward, a cornerback from Ohio State, which Bradley Chubb was still on the board. I think they could have picked up Bradley Chubb and had a better defensive line there in Cleveland. 
And again, they whiffed on their pick. I think those were two very, very poorly chosen picks for the Cleveland Browns. I think they could have done better. I mean, it, it really was not a good night for the Cleveland Browns, at least for the first round. And I don't know how they're going to overcome that. I mean, even in practices, they're talking about rookie camp right now. The the first drive that Baker Mayfield was on the field for Cleveland Browns, Denzel Ward actually picked off Baker Mayfield. And, uh, you know, it's not a good start for Baker Mayfield's career. And um, it doesn't look good for the Cleveland Browns as of right now. But let's just see. Let's see what happens. They have um, a new offensive coordinator there with uh, Haley from Todd Haley from uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So let's see if they can do something with it. But I, I don't think that... It was very wise from the Cleveland Browns the way they chose to um, let this draft unravel. So who else in the draft do you think did a good job of picking um, top players for their team this year? Well, I like what Seattle did um, when they took Shaquem. And it's funny because I felt bad because the NFL invited him to the first, second, second, first, second, third round, basically, to be in the pit, as they yeah. say. Yeah. And, of course, he wasn't picked. And it's sad because I don't know if they thought he was going to go. Remember, they were saying like high second, maybe low third, or maybe mid third round is what the analysts were saying that he maybe get picked. And of course, he didn't get picked, you know, till later. So, but I felt bad. And then what I didn't like is how they handled it after where he won the pick and he got picked and his brother got the phone call, picked the phone call up because he saw the number and he got him out of the bathroom, told me, you've been going to play with me. And then they brought him back and they, made him, they walked him around the whole stadium you know, and I'm thinking like, this is crazy. You know, it's like, I feel bad. He got invited cause he's, he, they kept going home in on him, mm-hmm. you know, and he just, he's just sitting there, you know? Yeah. And it's pretty sad. Uh, is what I, what I felt it shouldn't happen that way. But I like that the Seattle did pick him, you know, they could play with his brother and it's supposedly they've already figured out what they're going to use him for. So, um, see what happens. But I, I mean, he's a heck of a ball player. I mean, yeah, he is. He and, is. I mean, his brother, you know, the story, you know, his brother's, could have went somewhere else, but he went to him with UCF. So that was nice. His brother, you know, hung with him for that, and it was great to see that. So, I think so too. I think so too. I think that Shake um, Shaquem Griffin will do a very, very good job with the Seattle defense. I think that he'll play mostly special teams his first year, just right. kind of get his um, get his feet wet a little bit in the NFL, kind of know how it feels to play in this sport in the league um, in a professional league like this. So I think it'll be really good for him. I think it's good that he is with his brother, like you said. Mm-hmm. I think that was a great pickup by Seattle. Um, but looking at the first round especially, I think that, you know I mean? The, the, Cleveland, I think they were the worst when it comes to the draft that night, especially for the first round. They just did not do a good job of picking. Um, addressing needs, I think that, you know, you look at the Buccaneers, I think they got a, a really, really good defensive tackle from Washington with Vita Villa. Um, I think that Mika Fitzpatrick also going to um, the Dolphins from Alabama. I think that's a really good pickup by the Dolphins. Um, and having Josh Rosen from the quarterback from UCLA going to the Cardinals. I mean, he came out after that, right after he got picked. They said, how do you feel getting drafted here? He said, well, it sucks. I'm pissed off that it took them this long to draft me. That It took someone this long to draft me. Mm-hmm. Teams in front of me made nine mistakes before I was chosen. So I'm going to make them pay for those mistakes that they made. Um, so we'll see what, how Josh Rosen does in the Cardinals mm-hmm. offense, especially having Larry Fitzgerald there. Um, that's a great weapon to have if you're oh, Josh yeah. Rosen. So mm-hmm. I think that having him and also having um, a running game like they do have in Arizona, I think that running game will, will 
thrive this year with David Johnson in the backfield. I think when him he comes back from injury, I think it'll be a very, very good team. So, I mean, Josh Rosen does have some some key components around him to make that team very, very good this year. Um, and speaking of good draft picks, I think the Tennessee Titans did a great job with their draft. I think they actually won the draft this year. They only had four draft picks throughout the entire, entire draft process, but I think they did a very, very good job addressing needs and picking up players who are very, very strong. So let's break that down for a second. So round one with the second, 22nd overall pick in the draft, um, the Titans picked Rasheen Evans, or Sean Evans, I'm sorry, from the linebacker from Alabama. Um, a great, a great linebacker. I think that they fill the need where Avery Williamson, um, he left the team. I think that he definitely steps into Avery Williamson's place and is a very, very strong addition to the linebacking core with the Tennessee Titans. We also got Harold Landry. We draft, we went up a few spots actually to pick up Larry, Harold Harold Blandry, defensive end from Boston College. Right. In the second round with the ninth pick in that round, we got Dane Kruishank to add to our safety depth from Arizona. And we also got Luke Falk, quarterback from Washington State, which, interestingly enough, the 199th overall pick was actually the pick that Tom Brady got picked in his draft when he got drafted by the New England Patriots. So this is a very, very Patriots-esque draft pick. I think... Luke Falk will actually be a very, very good backup for Marcus Mariota if he does go down with an injury. I think Luke Falk is a good quarterback to have there in that position. Um, So we'll see how he does in the Tennessee Titans system, especially with having our new offensive scheme coming into play. Um, I think that Luke Falk will be a very, very good quarterback in our well, system. He was higher. He was higher on the draft boards, wasn't he? He was. He yeah, was. So he was actually dropped to the sixth round. Yeah. So Titans were very, very excited to see him drop. And even though he had, they had four draft picks in this in this draft, I still think they were the strongest um, amongst everybody else. They actually addressed needs they they had going into the draft, and they also picked up some other valuable pieces in free agency mm-hmm. um, after the season was over and after the draft too. So I think that the Titans are in a very very good spot leading into the 2018-19 season. Mm-hmm. Uncle Bobby, who was the best and worst um, drafts for these teams this year? Uh, I never really say because I just wait and see how the season plays out, like you said, because Cleveland, you know, uh, what I'd like to see happen would be like, you know, whenever they do like these behind the scenes, like we're going to trade up and what are you going to give us and everything, and they release it. I'd like to get the actual storylines on what they do, you know, because maybe the, maybe the Browns knew they couldn't, they wanted him, and they knew that if they didn't take him, that they, he wasn't going to be around by the time they got the next pick they had. Okay, so maybe that's why they had to take him. I don't know. Uh, because it sounded like to me like the Giants definitely wanted uh, Shaquem Barkley. You know, They wanted him for sure, and they weren't going to give that pick away. So basically Cleveland had to take what they wanted. So, so I'll just wait and see, like I said, toward probably you usually know by the, not even the middle of the season when the teams did on the draft you know, and see how they played out. But especially if you're going to have a quarterback that has to be considered the starter right out of you know, college. You know, you see how they play, you know. So. Yeah, we'll see how the season progresses mm-hmm. with these new players coming into the league and also with these veterans coming into the league as well. Des Bryant's still waiting for a contract. He's still a free agent as of right now. He is the best free agent when it comes to wide receivers right now too. So we'll see if a team goes out there and picks him up for a year, gives him a uh, a, a contract just for a year to see how he plays and go from there. But I think that it's a prove-it season for Des Bryant going into another Another system outside of Dallas because, obviously, 
in the Dallas system, he was not flourishing like he should be, especially having Dak Prescott as the quarterback when he can't throw more than 25 yards down the field. I think it, it really did um, harm to Des Bryant's career there in Dallas. That's why he's no longer a Cowboy. But we'll see what team actually picks him up and see if anybody picks him up before training camp or after training camp happens. Maybe there's an injury that happens to a veteran wide receiver that he can step in for. But I, I still think that he has some gas in the tank. Um, it just depends on how long he'll have that gas left. But I just think someone like him, I think it's the ego thing. Because they is. think they should be the number one for everything. And when they're not, it's not like a Colin Kaepernick getting benched and then what he did. Yeah. But it's a, that just seemed like he didn't want to care anymore. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and you can pretty much say that Jerry Jones was a mess around. He doesn't. He runs a team. There's no say-so about that. I don't care who the coach is. And if he feels he's not giving what he wants, he, you're gone. Yeah, you know? and, I, and I think there are teams out there that are scared about his personality, right. his his emotions, uh, you know, keeping them in check during a game and off the field, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think mm-hmm. off-the-field issues have hindered his performance in the past, um, where he did have a few good seasons with Tony Romo under center, mm-hmm. but then when Dak Prescott got there, it just went downhill from mm-hmm. there. He just was not the number one wide receiver that he thought he was. Mm-hmm. So maybe if he goes into a different system, it'll, it'll change. But I, I, I have yet to see... Anything in game tape the past two seasons to lead me to believe that that could happen with, right. with Des Bryant. I think that Des Bryant still um, could produce on the field, but as number one wide receiver, I don't think so. Right. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. So um, speaking of contracts, Matt Ryan signed a five-year extension. It's $100 million guaranteed, and it's giving him $30 million per year. Now, these are the biggest contracts as of right now in the NFL. Uh, the top three. It's actually changed hands three times this year of the title of highest paid player in the league. The first player that was highest paid player this season was Jimmy Garoppolo with the San Francisco 49ers, earning $27.5 million a year. Then comes Kirk Cousins with Minnesota Vikings. They signed him to $28 million a year, and now Matt Ryan with $30 million a year. At what point is there going to be a wall that gets hit in the NFL of highest paid player. There won't be because the league allows them to do that. It's not like where you have a major, who, who do you think is the worst sport for salary cap violations as far as what they do to the team? Is there really any at all? Mm, not really. Okay. So that's not what it really. comes down to the NFL. If you look at the NFL, they're like, okay, teams, you do whatever you want. We don't care. Yeah. We just want, we just want to be able to run the league and get our money and, and negotiate for you all. But we don't care what you do, what you spend. We don't care. Yeah. That's the way, that's the way I look at it. That's what I see with them. Yeah. That's all I see with them. Um, it's, it's a lot of money to be paid to a player, a single player. Um, but Matt Ryan is the backbone of that team. I think that he does have several years left, if, if not five, at least three or four more years left of solid quarterback play for the Atlanta Falcons. But uh, $30 million a year, that's just a lot. So you have to look at the other quarterbacks. Who do you think is in line for an extension that could be worth more than that? You see Aaron Rodgers is possibly wanting to get an extension soon. You see Tom Brady is probably not going to want to just play for you know $20 million a year. He's probably going to want more than that. So, I mean, do you think that one of those players will get a contract soon? Um, and if so, how soon? Do you think it'll be before oh, yeah. the season starts? Yeah, it's, I definitely think Brady because he's – he may only have two years left the way it looks. Yeah. So, and he took that, and when he was in, and got that four-game suspension, they made that really low count salary for him that year. So, he's going to be due. So, he might be the first, I don't know, $35, $40 million quarterback, you know, the way I look at it. You know, it's hard yeah. to say. But Aaron Rodgers, I mean, his problem is the injuries. So, I don't know if I don't know if he'll be able to get that, you know. I mean, he's a he's, he's good quarterback, but I don't know if he'll get that because of his, he's been injury-prone pretty much. 
you know. So I look at being Tom Brady, and I don't know who else, you know. That's the way I see it. Yeah, and you see that, Mike, uh, you know, with, with Aaron Rodgers, I think that Aaron Rodgers – it's gotten to a point where it seems as though he's losing faith in the team, losing faith in the front office. And you have to think, I mean, is he actually going to want to stay there for mm-hmm. a long term? Does he want to be a, become a, a stay a Green Bay Packer for the rest of his career? Uh, we don't know the answer to that question. I mean, at, at a certain point, you know, when Jordy Nelson left with Green Bay, I mean, that was kind of a red flag for me, thinking that Aaron Rodgers probably was not very, not behind the decision to let Jordy Nelson go right. uh, from this team because he was the number one wide receiver for mm-hmm. that team. So, We'll see if Aaron Rodgers stays with the Green mm-hmm. Bay Packers and see if he gets a contract extension anytime soon. So now let's head over to basketball. The NBA playoffs are underway. In the first round, the Thunder, the Bucks, the Wizards, and the Pacers were out. So there were several teams remaining. So let's talk about some series that are happening right now. The Cavaliers and the Raptors. That series is not what we expected. The Cavaliers are up now 3-0 in the series. LeBron James is carrying that team on his back. And... At a certain point, you got to think, I mean, is it because LeBron James is playing so well or is it because Toronto thought they could just go into this series and coast? I think that at a certain point, Toronto is just letting this team run all over them. And we saw in, in the last game that the president actually stormed stormed the, um, the court on the last game to talk to the referees about things that were happening on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually got fined for that, that little outburst he mm-hmm. had on the court. But, I mean, does Toronto have what it takes to at least win a game in this series against the Cavaliers? Are the Cavaliers going to run out of gas this um, this coming up game, which is tonight? Or do you think that the, the Cavaliers are just going to sweep them? No, I think it would be a sweep, but, but that would be the issue because I think that's going to maybe be the downfall for the Cavs when they go to the, uh, to the conference finals because it's the same problem. LeBron has to carry him. Yeah. And, you know, it's one thing if you have to do it maybe one game, but not every game. Yeah. And uh, that's the, the issue is right there. And, so. it, you know, I think this is the, the one season, I, I've kept saying this, that LeBron James could easily get injured in this season uh, simply because of how much work he's putting into it. Right. In the first round, he had several games where he was playing the entire second half of the game. So mm-hmm. for 30 minutes straight, he was playing. And that's just a lot of wear and tear on the body. Mm-hmm. I think that at a certain point, it's going to catch up to him. And, you know, uh, it hasn't caught up to him yet, but it might catch up to him in the conference finals. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll see if um, he'll be able to dig his team out of um, deep holes they may find themselves in in the conference final when they get there because we've never had a team go from um, 0-3 and come back and win the series. Mm-hmm. We've never had a team do that. So I don't think Toronto will do that. I think Toronto will get swept in the series. I don't think they even have what it takes to win tonight. Um, so the Cavaliers will be advancing to the conference final at that point, and um, it's just going to be a tough road for them going to the final this year. Mm-hmm. I think that even if they go to the final, it's probably going to be Golden State once again. We'll mm-hmm. talk about them in a, in a moment. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just not going to be pretty against the Cavaliers this year. It's not going to be a good series like we're, mm-hmm. we, we're used to seeing um, the Cavaliers versus the Warriors. Now, the next series we were talking about are the Warriors. They actually have a 3-1 lead over the Pelicans right now. Even though um, Anthony Davis is doing a lot of good things for the New Orleans Pelicans, they cannot overcome this Warriors team. Last night, they had the death lineup, or the Hamptons Five, as Coach Kerr actually puts it. Uh, it was Curry, Durant, Green, Igudala, and Thompson. They all started the game as the starting five, and they went 20-6 and six in the first six minutes of the game, and they were a plus 26 in 18 minutes of the game. So... 
with this lineup, I don't think they can win. I don't think the Pelicans will have a shot of winning this series. And Coach Kerr has actually come out already and said that the death lineup or Hamptons 5 will be starting the game um, in Game 5. So, again, seeing this team play, every opponent they've played so far, even in the first round with Steph Curry out, they actually were very, very dominant in that series. Mm -hmm. And in this series, they're very dominant because they have Steph Curry playing again. So I don't see them slowing down at all. I don't see them slowing down going into the final, the conference final. And, I mean, at this point, they are going to be in the finals. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll just have to see who they're, who it's going to be against, most likely the Cavs. But who knows? Um, but that team is just deadly. And, and usually with the, with the lineup, that kind of lineup, the Hamptons 5, they're, they're very, very good scoring, um, but not very good defense usually when it comes to those kind of players. But they played defense and offense last night, and they showed the team uh, what they're worth, and it didn't look pretty for the Pelicans. So um, Warriors are still on a rampage trying to go to the final once again and win another title, and I think they'll, they'll be able to do it with Steph Curry in the lineup. Now the Jazz and the Rockets. Rockets are up 3-1 in the series, and Rockets are 8-0 and when leading in a series 3-1. So Needless to say, I don't think that the Jazz have what it takes to uh, win three games in a row. So, therefore, the Rockets will probably be advancing to the Western Conference Final. And last but not least, the Sixers and the Celtics. No Irving, no Hayward, no problem for Boston. Boston's up 3-0 in the series against the Sixers. And the Sixers, actually, the other night, they played um, up against Boston. With ten about 10 seconds left in the game, they went down the field. They went down the court and actually got a shot off uh, with 1.7 seconds left to go. Got the lead, fifty nine to fifty seven. Or no, I'm sorry, it was uh, it was a two point lead. I think it was eighty five, eighty seven to eighty nine, I believe. Um, and with one point seven seconds seconds left on the clock, confetti cannons went off, and they were celebrating prematurely when it comes to the confetti cannons. Cannons because um, they actually had Bellinelli. He scored uh, the game tying shot. And went to overtime, and in overtime, the Sixers lost. So the Celtics are doing very, very well in this series. I think that they'll have a hard time um, coming back in this series for the Sixers. So sorry, Philadelphia. You're not getting another title like you did with uh, the Super Bowl this year. You're not getting another trophy to add to your case this year, um, especially from the Sixers, because they're not going to win that series. And then one more piece of NBA news. Steve Van, uh, Stan Van Gundy um, from the Detroit Pistons is out and he is no longer going to be with the team and he left that team in very bad shape too it looks like they may not they may not even have a round one draft pick this year um and they don't have much cap space at all so the next coach getting that job um good luck to you godspeed because you'll need it especially with that that team because it's they're awful Mm -hmm. Let's move on to some hockey news. So Stanley Cup playoffs are in round two, and the Toronto Maple Leafs lost in game seven in round one against the Bruins, but the Bruins could not advance past the Tampa Bay Lightning because the Bolts won last night and ended the series 4-1 to one against the Boston Bruins, and they're advancing to the Eastern Conference Final as the Golden Knights advance to the Western Conference Final after shutting out San Jose last night. Um, so... Huge wins by both teams, Tampa Bay and the Golden Knights. And for Golden Knights, again, for their inaugural season as an expansion team in the NHL, they just keep breaking records. They keep going through their opponents like nothing. Um, and it's it's crazy to see a team of that stature going through the playoffs like they are. 
and advancing. And I think it's all on the shoulders of Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury has been playing lights out for that team. They ended the series last night with a shutout um, against San Jose. And San Jose had just had no chance whatsoever um, against the Vegas Golden Knights. Do you see Vegas Golden Knights performing this well going into the Western Conference Final and possibly going to the Stanley Cup Final as well? Yeah, I see him going all the way. I, I see him because, I, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like you said, it's their first season. And, I mean, it really shouldn't matter. I don't know if, the, you know, you would think, okay, where they came from, where they're at, you know, does it affect them, you know, when you have to move like that, you know? You, gotta, you always got to wonder. Yeah. But I don't, see, I don't see them slowing down, you know? I don't either. The I only mean, issue I have still is their name because the Army says we own it, you know, with the Golden Knights uh, parachute team. So, other than that, I don't see it. I think as of right now, I think that if the Predators do win our series, which we'll talk about that momentarily, if they win the series and go against the Vegas Golden Knights, I think Nashville has the better odds of winning against Vegas um, instead of Winnipeg. I think Winnipeg is not the kind of team to play up against um, a team such as Vegas because you've seen it with San Jose, and you also saw it with, um, with Anaheim too. I mean, the, those two teams, they're the big bruiser teams. They haven't fared well in the playoffs this season. So... You know, Winnipeg is along the lines of a a bruiser team. I think they're mm-hmm. the kind of team that just likes to wear down the team. Have, they have good scores, Patrick Laine, uh, Statsny. They have uh, very, very good scores. But I think that at a certain point, Vegas will just turn it on. And, and yeah. they can very quickly. They can elude um, shots from, you know, Bufflin, Dustin Bufflin and things like that. So I think that it'll be a very hard series for either team who gets out of the Predators versus Jets series mm-hmm. um, to play up against Vegas because they are playing very, very well. And once again, Flurry is playing lights out. Uh, he's playing with a vengeance. And I think that if he does make it to the final this year, I, I don't see a team stopping him um, in the Stanley Cup final because he is just playing right. with a chip on his shoulder, especially after what happened with the Pittsburgh last year. Um, so Vegas is, is looking very, very good. And on the flip side, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay showed off a lot of scoring depth last last night against the Boston Bruins. Brad Marchand, we will not see we will not be seeing his tongue anymore. Um, yeah, I'm still I still gotta wonder about that. I mean, yeah, it's weird. I mean it, it was beyond weird. Yeah. You know, I mean, is he trying like to is that his way of psyching somebody out? Yes, I, I think so. Fate. I mean, that's the thing. I, don't I, I think it's a way of him psyching somebody out, but that's just a really weird way to try to psych somebody out. Yeah. I, I, I don't really get his tactic there, but uh, it's not going to be happening anymore this year anyway. We won't see it until next season, but um, the NHL has actually told him twice to stop. So um, I Does think he that... Does he have any false teeth that we know of? Uh, I don't know. Maybe don't that's so. why he didn't want to give him a kiss. He's, maybe he's afraid, you know, if he hits the wrong area, his dentures will pop Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah, when I saw the storyline, I was going to liquor. I go, what are they talking about? You know, not even realizing when I saw it. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a very yeah. interesting storyline. It's, yeah. it's very interesting the way he – I don't know why he does it, but I, I guess he tries to get in people's heads. And didn't work this series. Tampa Bay showed off their scoring depth and their, their – Lineup depth, too. Uh, Steven Stamkos has actually been the catalyst for that team after coming back from injury. And they, they keep riding on the the wings of Vasilevsky, too, and, and net. So with that team, they're going to have a very, very good run, I think, in the in the Eastern Conference Final. And we might be able to see some playoff games in Tampa, which would be nice. So I might be able to try to get some tickets to go down there to see them play. But hopefully they'll play up, up against Nashville. But we'll see what happens there. Um so yeah, I think Tampa Bay did a very, very good job advancing to the West, the Easter Conference Final. 
Um, two series are actually still happening right now, and in each of them, you know, the Bolts are waiting for the winner of the Caps and Pins, and the Golden Knights are waiting for the winner of the Preds and Jets. Mm-hmm. With the Caps and Pins, the Caps are up 3-2 in the series, and this is a very interesting to st- statistic here, and I don't think J- JT would like this statistic very much, but here we go. Since 1998, DC teams have gone 0-13 in games that would have clinched a conference final berth. 0-13. Awful statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, not a good s- statistic if you're a Caps fan, such as JT. Mm-hmm. But um, the Pens, they, they are, they're on their on their heels right now. They have to win two games in a row, mm-hmm. um, one on the road and one at home, to advance in this game. That although Game Six is at home for the Pens, which right. is a good thing for them. Um, but that's just a tough road for the Pens. Do you think the Pens could possibly get this game and and advance well, this to a Game Seven? It depends what Crosby does. You know, that's the way I look at it. Okay. You know, it's there's always one player, you know, and, you know, he pretty much, I think, won it for him last year, you know, the way I looked at it. So, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, like I said, and, and you got to wonder, I mean, hope to God that people aren't saying, you know, like on the team, hey, we're on 13 like this, and we better make sure we don't go on 14, you know, something like that, you know. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't matter, but still, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they, they have to exercise their demons if they want to advance mm-hmm. um, further into the playoffs. Because, I mean, each and every year, Pittsburgh is the one that eliminates them. Right. Every single year. Right. So Washington needs to just do something tonight to where they do advance. Um, it's going to be a very hard game. I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to come out guns blazing against them. And, um, you know, we'll see if, if they have what it takes to, you know, withstand the power um, and the velocity of this Pittsburgh Penguins team because they're going to come out very, very fast, very speedy, um, and very hard, too. I think they're going to be hit, hitting hard. I think that the um, the Caps will have their hands full tonight against the Penguins, and we'll see if they'll be able to advance it to a Game 7 or not. Mm-hmm. So now we're heading over to the phone lines, and we have a good friend of ours from Penalty Box Radio, the host there. Justin Bradford is on the phone with us to talk a little bit more about the uh, Preds and Jets series. Justin, it's good to always have you on the show, sir. As always, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No problem at all. So let's start off by uh, talking about this series. So this series has been hard-hitting. Um, it's been very, very difficult for the Preds because it's just been kind of bouncing back and forth. Um, and there has been some inconsistency when it comes to our defensive play. So what do you attribute to the Preds' inconsistent defense this series? I mean, that's 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 the big question here that everybody's been trying to figure out an answer, when you, especially when you have the talent the natural predators have in their top four and even the depth they have in their third pairing d it's just really interesting to, to see how they've faltered so much in the entirety of the playoffs i mean obviously they were good enough to get past colorado and winnipeg's just a completely different beast but to see what they've been failing at in so many different ways whether it's not putting up the offensive numbers you would expect or not shutting down enough in terms in, in front of pecorina in the slot area in the home area that, that you really see in the high danger areas it's been very confusing and frustrating I'm sure to, mo- to every single fan because there's so much more that they expect from this team uh, what what has really gotten me is that every time the national predators have made an adjustment for instance as we saw in game four they made an adjustment well in game five they completely went away from that adjustment <laughs> and and that's what it seems has been going on here that the national predators make an adjustment well winnipeg's able to adjust mid-game and that's where you see how in, in for instance in game one and in game five the national predators dominated the first period and then all of a sudden the Winnipeg Jets adjusted for the second and third and came out and blew them away. 
and, and that's what's been kind of interesting to see is that Peter Laviolette's been great at making adjustments game to game, but in-game adjustments now is what they really have to focus on, and a lot of that goes to the, de- the defensive end, and what are they doing to get involved in the offense but still be responsible in the back end, and that's what we're not seeing is them scoring, Ryan, Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi, uh, they have been pretty much invisible, and it's kind of interesting to see that, that you expect so much more from them, especially offensively, to where you're wondering, are they both injured? What is going on there to where they're not unleashing the offensive power that they have, as well as making lots of mistakes in the defensive end? So, I mean, I, I know it's not a real answer to your question, but that really is, we, we don't know. We don't know what's going on mentally with this team right now to where they're not able to get it done like you fully expect them to. You were talking about some adjustments that were made game to game. So in game four, they actually took out Kevin Fiala and put in Scott Hartnell into the lineup. And then in game five, they brought Fiala back and took Scott Hartnell out of the lineup. So what do you think led to the decision to take Scott Hartnell out of that lineup since he was so effective in game four against Dustin Bufflin? Uh, My theory was, and I mean, this is just a theory, not saying that I fully supported or anything else. But my thought was that they did that because they could protect Kevin Fiala a little bit more defensively in terms of they could put him out there against weaker forward and defensive units to give him more of an opportunity to flourish offensively because they'd have last change. That's my first thought when I saw that he was coming back in that way, especially after Scott Arnold had a decent game to where he was able to keep Dustin Bufflin in check and under control more so than not actually shut him down but just keep him in check, which is what was important. But especially on the road, but when you come to home, you have the last change, and therefore you can see what the other team is putting out there, and then you can adjust and put who you want out. That's what I'm thinking was the thought process behind that. Not sure if I'm correct or not, uh, but I really would have preferred to see Scott Hartnell out there in Game 5 instead of Mika Salamaki. Even if you don't place him on the second line, you put him out there on the ice because at least you know what he's capable of, and hopefully as a veteran, you know that he can be smart enough to take the right types of plays. So that's what I'm thinking was behind that change. And as we saw at the morning lineup that came out today, that looks like Scott Harnell and Cal Young are both going to be coming in on the fourth line. Which is fantastic for the team. I think that will be uh, added a good boost to the team going into this must-win game tonight um, in Winnipeg. So it starts at 8.30 Central Time, 9.30 uh, Eastern Time tonight. So we're very excited about that. Um, so speaking of their road, their road wins they've had this season. I mean, they've been very, very good on the road. Um, but at home, however, uh, we were 9-2 and two last year combined um, in the playoffs at home. And then this season, we're now 3-3. Three and three. What has led to that collapse at home? I think it's one of those things, and even Austin Watson said this uh, when I spoke with him uh, after the Game 5 loss, is that you know, it's, it's a different year. It's a different team. And I know a lot of folks want to look at last year's team and what they did at home, but you know, teams change every year in terms of the, the makeup of them and, and I don't want to say mental capacity. There's all been so many different things mentally that could be going on there, but Winnipeg's a very good team. And I know Austin Watson made a point of saying that. P.K. Subban's made a point of saying that. At Winnipeg, the Winnipeg Jets, I mean, they were second in terms of points in the entire league, and that's why they're giving Nashville fits. They're an extremely good team, too, and the players are making sure people understand that, that, yeah, they know the pressure's there, but they're very, very good. And they've proven that, that they can come in and win in Nashville, whereas Nashville's proven they can go and win on the road. So I don't think it's nothing against the fans, nothing against the home atmosphere. It's just that they're playing a very good team, and the Nashville players haven't been able to match that very good team as much, obviously, with the 3-2 series deficit right now. They haven't been able to match the capacity of the Winnipeg Jets. And whether that's a home or on the road in the playoffs, yeah, you feed off your home crowd, but that home crowd's only going to do so much when the players themselves aren't playing to what they're capable of playing to. 
It's been a while since we've seen the Predators lose two games in a row, and I I highly expect us to win this game this evening simply because we're very, very good when it comes to bouncing back. Um, what do you think goes in the mindset of these players to be so good on the bounce back? Because you see Pecorine always comes out with a very, very strong performance after a loss, and you see this defense stand up too after this law lo- after a loss um, to come back with a vengeance. So what do you think goes into the, the preparation of these players to be so good on the ice after a loss? I think a lot of it right there is that chip on the shoulder attitude and, and the mental capacity to, to get it done. Now, everybody would ask, well, then why don't they do that at home when they know they have to? They have an opportunity to go up in a series. Well, it's sports, and things change in sports in terms of psychologically. There's so many different things going on in a player's head, uh, what, they're, what they're thinking about, what's going on, making the right plays. If they make a mistake, then how do they respond to that? So all those different things go into play there. I, I think with the way the Predators are able to respond is that they're able to make those game-by-game adjustments. Uh, like I said earlier with Peter Laviolette and the players reviewing the, all, all the, the digital media uh, regarding the games as well and the different looks at it to see what they can do better. So I think a lot of that is what's going into their minds of, hey, what can I do better here? What can I do better there? And then maybe even feeding off that negative energy in Winnipeg, too, is something that we saw them they were able to shut them down in, in game four. So I think a lot of this, the little adjustments that you see, but it just doesn't have the same feel this season as it did last season. I think it's because those expectations are so high and you didn't know how they're going to handle those expectations because, yeah, they're the President's Trophy winning team and you expect them to go out and to win every single series that they possibly can. Uh, and so we're not seeing that right now. And that's what's been troublesome, I know, for a lot of Preds fans, is that last year is pretty much one of those just happy to be there, can't believe this is happening, this is awesome, as the quote-unquote 16th seed in, into the playoffs, whereas this year the expectation is to win the Cup or bust. Uh, I think a lot of expectations are coming into play with a lot of these different things too, but uh, just to keep in mind it's a completely different team, but they're still able to have that bounce back, and we saw that all season. And I guess the test tonight will be to see if they can do that in the in the postseason as well in, in the playoffs to see if they can bounce back after getting completely demolished in an epic collapse. And like you said earlier, um, Winnipeg is the second highest uh, point total in the regular season this past year. Um, they've been actually doing very, very good in the in the, in the playoffs and the, the regular season as well. Um, so with the Predators, who do you think will be the X factor against the Jets tonight? I think the X factor has to be that entire top four for the Nashville Predators. Uh, <clears throat> and we spoke of this in pregame on, on Saturday that looking at this Nashville Predators team, it is really hard to pick one MVP, you know, aside from like Pecorino, if he can steal a game because they're built as a team unit and they win as a team unit, they lose as a team unit. As we've seen, it's multiple players making mistakes or it's multiple players doing really good things in the way this team is ebbing and flowing all season and even in the playoffs. So I think it's that top four for the National Predators that if they're playing a solid defensive game, all they have to do is score two or three goals and they can be successful. They can win the game because they can shut down Winnipeg. If they're not being responsible on their own end, it could be another bad, bad night for Pecorino. And the way I see that going, too, is maybe you have Pecorino on a short lease, and it's not on him. It's on maybe it changes the mindset of the team in front that if they allow Pecorino to have three bad goals against him, then they need to make the switch, if anything, just to show the players, hey, you need to be playing better, and, and they all take responsibility for it. And I think most people are seeing that, too, that it's the team in front not playing as well as they can in front of Pecorini, which is allowing him to have some bad games as well. Is he playing elite level right now? Absolutely not. But even when he's playing above average to where he's allowing a few more goals than you would expect from him, the team in front has been playing poorly in front of him, allowing those things to be exposed, where they need to step it up because he saved their behinds plenty of times. They need to step up in front of him to make sure he's having a good game too. So I think it's really on that top four defenseman. 
uh, to get it done, to clog up the slot, to clog up the neutral zone, to make it look like they're you know, skating into a wall, as it was said from, from Winnipeg after game five or after game four. They, they need to clog that up, limit the high danger opportunities, allow some shots to get to the net so Pecorini can make the save and that he's not screened. But yeah, it's on them to make sure they're playing a strong game. And still talking to Justin Brad from Penalty Box Radio about the Predators series against the Winnipeg Jets. Um, so my last question for you, Justin, can the Predators win tonight and force Game 7 back in Bridgestone Arena? Absolutely. They absolutely can. They can totally win two in a row. Uh, that's, uh, that's the fun thing about the playoffs is anything can happen. And if you look at the pre- previous Stanley Cup winners, I think in the past 10 years there's more than five teams – sorry, eight out of the ten past Stanley Cup winners trail in a series – and I think there are at least three that trailed three to two in this series as well. Pittsburgh trailed last year to Ottawa before in the series. It wasn't three to two. I think it was two one. But still, teams that win the cup, their championship caliber teams, can overcome adversity. This is obviously a test of the National Predators, a test of the fan base, a test of the entire organization of what they can do to overcome. And so, if they're able to do that, that really does paint a good picture of the team and they're able of their ability to bounce back. But yes, they absolutely can win. They can win in a game seven as well. It's just it's up to that team and what they, the product they put out on that ice. If, they have, if they're hungrier, and I know that's very cliche, but if they're the hungrier team out there to get those little battles, do the little things right, as we've seen in the playoffs, a lot of times when the Predators have made a little mistake, the Winnipeg Jets have completely taken advantage of that. That's the big thing. Don't make those little mistakes. Take advantage of Winnipeg's mistakes. There are a lot of posts or a lot of almost that happened in game five. Well, turn those almost into goals turn those little mistakes into zero mistakes in the defensive end. So they take care of those little adjustments during the game and make sure they're adjusting during the game. They can absolutely win. They can force a game seven. Justin Bradford, host of Penalty Box Radio and also author of The Making of Smashville. Justin, once again, thanks so much for joining us this week. And we will hopefully be talking to you in a later series after we close out against Winnipeg. Hopefully we'll be able to force game seven and move on to the Western Conference final once again. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. I think the Predators can win Game 6 and force a Game 7, but we'll just have to see tonight. Um, The game's going to be at 8.30 Central Time, 9.30 Eastern Time. So you know that I will be watching that game um, very, very closely in my apartment. So hopefully they'll be able to pull this one out and move on to Game 7 and uh, go from there. So let's talk about your... uh, Scam Alert we haven't talked about in a while. So now it's time for Uncle Bobby's Scam Alert. The microphone's all yours. Yeah, so this one is concerned the Orlando Pride. Um, they were complaining about the fan base support that they don't have. And um, if you look at soccer itself, the stadiums are very large. Atlanta, of course, has disproven that uh, with what they've had so far. But Orlando Stadium is very big. So the women's, of course, is not doing as good as the men's. And they should be happy for what they have. But I wonder if this may be in play with the salaries they get. And if the attendance went up, they could say, hey, we should be getting more money because we have a higher fan base than Portland does. Don't know, but, you know, I'm just wondering if that's what it is. You think that's their end game is they just want higher salaries? That could be because, like I said, I mean, what are they averaging? I mean, they're like number two, but what is it, seven, 8,000, I think? Something like that. Yeah, I can so find out. Portland's like number one, but I think they're like number two, I believe it was, but I think it's seven, 8,000. So that's the way I'm looking. Maybe they figure, okay, if we can pull in 18, 19, 20, that, hey, we should get more money because we have a higher fan base. But I don't know if that's the reason or not. But 
Um, world-renowned superstar Marta makes the NWSL maximum, which is about $41,000. By comparison, the lowest-paid player in Orlando City's roster this season made $53,000, while Kaká was paid more than $7 million Right. What was the attendance, year. though? Um, I don't have anything about the attendance. I can find that out as well. All right. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. You have to be successful to have fans. But you have to have fans... To be successful in some players' minds. Well, of course. Because you need that fan base. You need that that cheering. You need the just the energy that right. goes through that building, especially with during an Orlando City game. I mean, I was downtown yesterday. I didn't go to the game. I went to a concert. But I was down this. I was a few blocks away from the stadium. There were fans for Orlando City everywhere. Mm-hmm. Purple everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, no matter where you were, there was purple everywhere. So I think that... You know, I understand where they're coming from, that they do have to have fans out there to be successful. But at the same time, you have to be successful first for fans to actually catch on and for fans to come cheer you on, to Mm -hmm. want to cheer you on. So, I mean, it's a catch-22 at Mm -hmm. that point, especially in a league like that, in a women's league Mm -hmm. for soccer. I mean, you just have to bring your A game every single game. You Mm -hmm. have to win games. You have Mm -hmm. to actually go to, you know, the playoffs, which, I mean, uh, you know, it happens all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. teams have to go to the playoffs to be successful, right. to be to have a fan base. Like the Orlando Solar Bears, they went to the playoffs this year. They probably had the highest attendance this pe- playoff season mm-hmm. than they have had any other season right. for the regular season because they're not usually a good team. Mm-hmm. So you have to have success to have the fan base. And once again, it's just a catch-22. It's, right. it's not... Um, not the best, but, I mean, hey, it, it happens. Orlando Pride season 2017, it looked like the lowest home attendance was 4,273, August 8th versus Washington. And the highest home attendance was actually 14,452, right. which was April 22nd against Washington. Right, but, I mean, what was their average? Um, It does not say here. It should be, I think, 7 or 8, and then, like I said, Portland should be number 1. Something like that. Yeah, but anyway, so that's that's how I feel. So for that, all right. Well, um, let's move on to some miscellaneous news. The Orlando Solar Bears. Speaking of which, they ended their season against the defending Kelly Cup champions, the Florida Everblades, last night. They lost the series four to one, and it was kind of a foregone conclusion. I kind of knew this would happen because the Florida Everblades are probably one of the best teams in the ECHL. Um, so unfortunately they did lose, but congratulations to Orlando Solar Bears for having such a successful season, especially in the playoffs. Um, a great job by them. Great job by the organization there. Um, and I actually went to one of the playoff games. It was a lot of fun. It's definitely one of those games that it's, it's awesome to see something like that in our backyard. So, um, congratulations to the Solar Bears for a successful season this year. Um, the Red Sox and Yankees rivalry is actually going to London next year for a London game. What do you think about that? Uncle Bobby? What are you going to be playing at? Probably Wimbledon, most likely. Maybe somewhere else. I'm not sure. Because, I mean, they, they don't have any baseball stadiums over there regular, right? No. I know of. So no, they have to create so. one. So would it be the Olympic Stadium? Would it be Wembley? I mean, you got to wonder where they'd have it at. Let me see here. Let me see if I can find. Um, London, London Stadium is what it's called. Okay, so maybe that's where they have. On the 29th and 30th of June... Next year. Just two-game series? Wow, that's weird. Two okay. games. Hmm, interesting. Two games next year. Uh-huh. Um, do you think it's a good idea to take the sport to London to get more fans to follow Major League Baseball? I don't know, but uh, what's going to happen to their pay? 
Because you know when they play like that's why they, the teams hated playing in Canada because they got taxed higher. Oh, so now they're going to go to the UK and play there, and I know their taxes are high. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. See if anybody gets like the uh, gets sick, the flu, or something, or can't <laughs> Maybe play. So you know, they don't get paid. You know. Maybe so. <laughs> All right, so um, Ichiro actually moves to the front office role for the Seattle Mariners for the rest of this year and is not retiring as of right now. So Ichiro is still with the Mariners, but just in a different a different capacity than he was before. Jason Witten officially re- announces his retirement from the NFL and is joining the ESPN Monday Night Football crew as an analyst. So he's technically replacing John Gruden in the booth, uh, which is great for him. So congratulations to him. Um, Justify reigns supreme in the 144th running of the Kentucky Derby. Um, so congratulations to that horse for winning that Kentucky Derby. Yeah, some lady won $1.8 million on the bet. On an $18 bet. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Absolutely insane. But one more thing on Ichiro. I think, too, the reason why he's not retiring because they're supposed to play in Tokyo next year. Oh, so okay. So he'll be playing in the home country, of course, and then maybe retire after that. Oh, hey, that's a good storyline right there. Yep. We'll keep an eye on that. So let's move on to winners and losers. Uncle Bobby, I'll let you go first. So my winner is um, NFL defensive back for the San Francisco 49ers, uh, Don Jones II. Um, His mom is a teacher, and she teaches special ed at her school. And one of the girls asked him to be (laughs) her date to his high school prom. So he kept up the promise and escorted Lindsay Preston to her high school prom this year. So that was a great thing to see. Great story. That's awesome. Yep. Loser. All right. So loser will be the NFL. Um, this is concerning cheerleaders, not the Redskins itself. This is with two cheerleaders who filed a harassment discrimination claim against the league. Um, and basically they agreed to meet with them for a $1 settlement, but also to address other concerns. And the NFL agreed to meet with them, but... They said they will not consider to address or decide anything concerning cheerleaders' employees with the teams as far as that. So I don't know what the whole story is going to come out of that, but it's just kind of strange because they're basically saying they're being harassed, being discriminated. Like I said, I don't know for sure, but it's just going to be interesting to see what comes out of that. All right. Well, my winner this week is the Tampa Bay Lightning for winning four straight games in a row against the Boston Bruins to defeat them in the... Um, the series and going on to the Eastern Conference Finals. So congratulations to the Lightning, even though when the Predators will play you, if they do play you, I will not be a Lightning fan at all. I'll be a Predators fan solely, so sorry about that. Uh, my losers this week, I actually have two of them. First of all is the Toronto Raptors for letting the Cavaliers just walk all over them to go to a 3-0 lead in the series, and they will probably get swept this series as well. And they were going into the Eastern Conference, into the Eastern Conference playoff this year as a very, very strong competitor for the Eastern Conference final title, um, and then also going to the finals as well. So they're my loser, one of my losers, and the Sixers are actually another loser of mine because they're premature confetti cannons because, uh, you know, celebrating a win before you win is not a good thing. And we saw there that that's something that you should not do. And, um, yeah, that's my, those are my losers for the week. So final thoughts, Uncle Bobby. All right, so this is the whole thing with the NCAA about the UCF uh, Knights and they're going undefeated and saying they were national champions, which, of course, they weren't. The league, they need to do something because to have a team go undefeated, go to a major bowl, win that bowl, 
beat the team that beat both teams that went to the championship game and still not get anything is not right. I mean, they, they got they got to either have, sorry, you're in a lower-class league, so that's why we're not going to include you in the playoffs. But if you go undefeated, maybe you know, we'll do something. I don't know. Give them a special ring. I don't know, something. But this is just crazy. You know, it's just it's crazy to do what they did and to not be recognized. Well, and Scott Frost came out saying that he doesn't believe they're national champions either after he became the Nebraska Cornhuskers coach um, this past week. So, I mean, I understand from a, I understand both sides. I understand right. UCF saying that they should be national champions because they did beat two teams that were competing for the national championship in the playoffs this year. Um, but I also agree with the other side of people saying that they didn't go to the national championship game. They didn't beat the best of the competition um, in that game, so therefore they're not the national champions. But they were the only undefeated team this season. I think there is something that needs to be said about that from the NCAA themselves. Um, I, I, I like it. I, they have their no, own national championship ring. They have a national championship banner at UCF now, too. They're going to be inducting that um, into the rafters, I guess, or whatever um, this season. So, I mean, good for them. I think that I think they deserve to do that. So, um, UCF, in my mind, is still the national champion, but, you know. But, I mean, it, it's, there's got to be something that, okay, if you go and you go to the SEC championship and you lose that game, you should not be able to go to the playoffs. No, you should. I'm sorry. No, you shouldn't. So something's got to give. Yeah, it does. You know, I agree. Something's got to give. I agree. All right, my final thought goes out to the DVC Welcome Homies, the softball team. So this past week, we actually lost our second game of the season by a score of 15 to 11 against the number one ranked uh, team, the Beast Mode is what they're called. And... Um, I have to have my hats off to the team. That that team was very, very good. Every single player that walked up to the plate could hit. Um, they were they knew how to hit and and try to find our weak spots, and they did. So congratulations to Beast Mode. But we have one more game this week. Actually, tomorrow is our last game of the regular season before we go into the playoffs, starting um, next week. And very excited about that. So we'll tell you about the score of that game next week on the podcast. But thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. This is Out of Bounds with Dylan James. You can follow us on Facebook at Out of Bounds with Dylan James, on Twitter, OOB Podcast, or you can email me at Dylan at Podcast.com or JT at JT at Podcast.com. Um, give us some suggestions, feedback, comments, concerns, whatever you guys want to give us. You're more than welcome to. Uncle Bobby, what is your social media handle? I uh, don't have one because, as you all know, Twitter got hacked majorly. So I luckily closed my account before I could be attacked. There you so go. So hopefully nobody else got attacked. If you are, you may have to redo it. So, All right. Very good. If you need to contact me, just contact me through the show with Dylan or JT, and they will let me know if they want to. Yes. We'll let you know. There's no lifetime ban. Again, I know. the ban's not there. The ban yeah. has been lifted. Hey, my phone works. Okay. If there right. was a ban, the ban is no longer there. It's gone. It's it, You're here to stay. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Dylan underscore James. On Facebook, you can follow, find me there. Um, but yeah, so some exciting sports happening tonight um, with the Preds and, and the the Jets and the Penguins and the Capitals. Bobby, in those two series, who do you think is going to win the game tonight? Each series. Well, I'm saying Preds. Okay. Uh, back against the wall. And I think the Pens will win and it'll have to go game seven for both. Okay. I'm looking at game seven. Okay. Yeah. I kind of agree with you because, I mean, if history repeats itself, which it usually does, going 0-13 in, game, in series clinching games 
to advance to a conference final for Washington, D.C. teams, that's not a good stat to have. I think that the Capitals will will probably fall in this game to, to the Pens. Sorry, JT, but it's probably going to happen. The, the Predators, I, I still think the Predators are going are gonna to do very, very good. They're going to bounce back from their loss right. and uh, go in there to Winnipeg and silence the whiteout. One more thing. Do you think Jason Witten waited till he knew he got the ESPN job before he announced his retirement? Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course he did. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have retired without a job in place either. It's, it's or what, like, or it's, did they tell him that he they weren't going to bring him back? What, no, yeah. th- no, the funny thing was uh, Jerry Jones wanted to bring him back, actually. I, mean, I think that that was the, the key thing that happened there. I think Jason Witten wanted a job out of the NFL, um, and so that's what happened. But so was it going to be a pay cut? Maybe something that no, was evolved? I think it's going to be steady. I think it's going to be steady. Pay no, no, cut. I meant with the Cowboys. Uh, Were they going to bring him back? And I don't save think so. Lesser? I mean, I'm just wondering. I don't think so. Anyway, well, thanks for listening to the show once again, guys, and we will talk to you guys next week. Seven Sports Talk. WBLZ Sports. We've got balls. I'm Stephen Jodderin from Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Hi, I'm Armand Kafai. Be sure to give us a listen for the best coverage in American soccer. Follow us on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod and give us a subscription on iTunes and Google Play. You don't want to miss it. Gen Service offers complete electrical service with a reputation based on quality. Turn to them for residential, commercial, and industrial electrical service. Doesn't matter if it's new construction, homes, electrical panels, hot tubs, generators, or a commercial rewire. The Gen Service team is licensed, bond, and insured to put your electrical concerns at ease. For an electrical contractor with 25 years of service, give Gen Service a call at 740-438-7173. With over 30 years of experience, the smart people call on Doug Peffer Painting and Pressure Washing. Interior, exterior, commercial, or residential, Doug Peffer does it all. Is your house looking ugh? Then call on Doug. Doug Peffer Painting and Pressure Washing, 404-966-3361. Mention WBLZ Sports and you'll receive a special We've Got Balls discount. That's Doug Peffer Painting and Pressure Washing, 404-966-3361. We are not Vegas, guys. We're just two guys from South Carolina. Making our picks. Doing what we love. That's it. No bunkum, no bullshit. We don't have credit cards at the day. We're not hanging out with Frella Mafia, even though we wish we were. The Burger and Badass Show, Thursday night from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. and Saturday morning from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Exclusively on WBLZ Sports. We got the balls. Danny, I need that ball. Get me the ball. You need the ball. 
get me the ball. Get you the ball. Are you going to get me the ball? Oh, I'll get you the ball. Get me 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 the ball